We believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts, Lara, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother and doula. Welcome to Mother Birth, a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother. shares the all-too-familiar tale of how she came into the postpartum period with a lot of expectations, in her case especially from family. These expectations inevitably led to disappointment and caused her to try to fit her family into a mold that didn't work for them. We talk about the torture of sleep deprivation and learning to communicate with your extended family about how you're going to raise your kids. Hi everyone, thanks for listening to the show. Today we have a guest from London, Carolina Baker, who's joining us today, and we're doing our first three-way Skype call um, with Lara, who is uh, down south right now doing an exam for midwifery school. Um, So Carolina, you came to us, we um, had had a mutual friend on Facebook that... um, I think you saw the podcast through and then you reached out to us with an article that you had shared about your experience postpartum and kind of what your expectations were. You kind of shared this series of um, things that, you know, family members had had shared with you that had set your expectations and then kind of how those were broken throughout the postpartum period. Um, So why don't you just tell us a little bit about that, the piece that you wrote and what that experience was like? Yes, of course. Um, My first son uh, was born in April 2014. And just to give a little background, I am Colombian um, Mm -hmm. from South America, uh, as well as American. So a little bit of Colombian culture is that motherhood is extremely honored there, at least within my family. So most of the women within my family once they got pregnant, um, they stopped working. And, you know, I grew up in this culture of mothers are amazing and they shouldn't do anything else but take care of their children. Um, And so when I got pregnant, I was obviously still working. And so the conversations with people like my grandmother were like, this is going to be the best time of your life you're going to love your baby you're going to worry about your baby until you're 80 years old Hmm. you're going to look at all the details and basically see God's work and I was like yeah this is amazing and then with um, conversations with my mom were were more about you need you guys should continue traveling because we moved to London and prior to Colin being born we were pretty much never in London just traveling and trying to take advantage of the fact that we're going to be here but we're not going to be here forever yeah so she's like you really need to focus on you know continuing to travel and continuing to do everything you've been doing and being a type a personality and just uh, embracing everything I was like yeah, I'm going to do all of this. Nothing is going to change when my son is born. Mm-hmm. And um, so then my son was born in April 2014. I had, I was induced um, at, at about 42 weeks. Um, I was lectured uh, because I waited that long, 42 mm-hmm. weeks, saying I was hurting my baby. But I was really keen on a natural birth. So I, I, I didn't want to... I I wanted to allow my body to go into labor and it got to the point where 
I still wasn't going into labor. So my husband and I decided um, that I would get induced. Um, and so my induction here started on a Monday at 10 a.m. And contractions didn't start until 10 p.m. that night. Um, That's a long wait. (laughs) (laughs) That is a very long wait. And I, um, and and Colin wasn't born until Tuesday at 6 p.m. So I had a very uh, hard labor. Um, I was about, I would say, five minutes away from getting a C-section. I was in the operating room here and pretty much um, the doctors told me if, you don't push this baby out by five minutes. We're just, we need to get him out. Mm. Um, so it, he ended up cu- uh, coming out um, and it was by suction cup. I, I, so so I, I had a little help and he was yeah. born and put on my chest. And, you know, by that point I had been falling asleep on the operating table because I was that exhausted. Mm. So to say I was traumatized um, is a bit of an understatement. So here um, I had this beautiful baby. He was about nine pounds, six ounces. And um, yeah, I was destroyed from labor. Yeah. And um, my mom wasn't able to join me for the birth because my grandmother was quite ill. And that was also um, a bit shocking for me as well, because I think mothers in most societies kind of try to help their daughters transition yeah. um, to become mothers, but she wasn't there. So it was just me and my husband. We did have a birth coach with us, which was amazing. Mm. And she kind of helped us transition the medical system here and everything. But, you know, once I was released from the hospital, it was just my husband and me trying to, you know, learn parenthood, deal with each other after, um, after Colin was born and navigate the wonderful world that was sleep deprivation, which was quite bad for us. Um, (laughs) So um, then all the calls from South America started coming in saying, congratulations, how do you feel, your baby? Um, My mom scheduled the visit with my brothers and my father for about a month after Colin was born. Mm. And she didn't really... Come. It was more of a let's meet your son visit and not let's help and, you know, get into the thick of it visit. So she came and, you know, saw the baby and they gloated. But at the end of the day, no one was there to be like, here, I will take the baby for two hours so you can nap Um, or, you know, you can take a shower or go for a walk alone or, or something like that. And um, I mentioned in the piece that I wrote that my mother also brought me a belly girdle from South America. And with with a lot of pride, she handed it to me saying, your grandmother sent you this. You need to wear it every day um, so that your body goes back to the size that it was mm-hmm. pre-pregnancy. So I had a, I had a big baby, um, a fairly... I'm five seven, so I, you know, um, I, I'm fairly large in that sense. And you know, Colin was quite big, and I was like, "How am I?" Like, I couldn't recognize my body a month mm. after birth, and I was like, "How am I going 
like I don't even want to like I tried it on and I was like this is the most uncomfortable thing how do I really need to wear this um and and so I ended up kind of dishing it because I, I, I just couldn't but I was you know as as I navigated Colin um I and parenthood and my relationship with my spouse after his birth, I was just confused at the messages that I had received versus the reality of having a child. So that was a very difficult, um, very difficult for me to navigate and for my husband as well to kind of be like, we were, I don't want to say we were sold this message, but we were told this message. And here we are dealing with a beautiful new reality but one that's very hard and I don't and it it was just very confusing for me yeah did you and your husband talk much about expectations between the two of you before Colin was born yes we we did and and so so for that was a bit helpful um so we set it up in in a way that I was going to do breastfeeding, but I was also going to pump because my husband wanted to be involved. Mm-hmm. So I was very lucky that Evan was very much a 50-50 partner from mm-hmm. from the start. But at the same time, I don't think, I, I, I think parenthood, at least with your first child, kind of hits you in the way you least expect it. So while we were prepared and we had talked about expectations, we were still shattered from like this whole experience and waking up every two hours and mm-hmm. and it, it it was a very difficult transition for us. I mean, we had the meals. I had friends over instead of having a baby shower. I had friends come over and we had the freezer stocked with food and everything like that. So mm-hmm. we had covered most of our bases, but for us, the most difficult thing was the fact that. In the ways that we chose to try to get Colin to sleep, he would not sleep. Yeah. So he was pretty much up constantly. And that just, that, that wears you down, even if you are as prepared as possible for, for a newborn. Yeah, and as as the mom, you have all of these hormonal shifts that are happening as well. So no matter how supportive and 50-50 your partner is, you are just, you're experiencing a whole different level of transition and you know difficulty than your partner is and and you just have this like biological urge to tend to this child in a way that (laughs) that really can it can really contribute to the sleep deprivation and to that you know sense of worry and um all all of that you know the ways that we become so fixated on on our children yes um, and like you also had like some cultural expectations. Like, I think that something I hear from people a lot is like, well, you know, like whether they do work or don't work, it's like, oh, like right after the baby, I'll be at home and it'll just be like me and the baby and we'll just, I'll sleep when the baby sleeps and the baby will eat. And I think even if you know that it'll be difficult, you still paint this kind of like peaceful, low key picture for yourself mm-hmm. where you're like, yeah. This is when life just slows down and like we just focus on the baby. But I think for a lot of people, that's when life speeds up and gets more complicated because actually taking care of someone 24 hours a day, seven days a week is not something we do. No. You know, and, so, and, and, yeah. it's like 
that's a huge learning curve. It's not this like slow down into this peaceful season. It's actually like a ramp up into a very needy, intense season. Yeah. And I, I mean, with Colin, I, I, I kind of felt that like time stopped for a second. I was so tired from everything. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're constantly taking care of this newborn that at first isn't moving. So I felt like I was never progressing in a way. And you, you're absolutely right what you said, Laura. I'll sleep when the baby sleeps. But I, I don't really think um, that that happened for me. I mean, sometimes, you know, I made the mistakes of staying up or you're so anxious because, you know, you hear about SIDS and is the baby breathing? And, you know, did I put them in the correct position in, in the crib? And it's like, do you hear the, and then I, I, I struggled with shadow crying as well, which mm-hmm. I'm sure you guys are familiar with. It's like, if I was downstairs trying to do the dishes, I'm like, is the baby, is the baby crying? It's just, you have so many worries. You're so worried. And you're, yeah. in my case, I was alone at home most of the day. And I did try I do live in a town that's very mother friendly. So, you know, I I did eventually, you know, you know, overcame my fear of like leaving the house with the newborn. But while I did, you feel so isolated because it's like you have this precious being and you have to keep them alive. And then, you know, they treat you. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I can only speak for London, but here you're you know, we treated very delicately when you're when you're pregnant, and as if you're, in a in a way, just handicapped. And then you know you have a baby, and then everyone just expects you to, to kind of be okay. And it's it's just overwhelming. Yeah, and the sleep when the baby sleep only sleep when the baby sleeps only works if the baby sleeps. <laughs> I mean. I've, I feel like this time, you know, I have a newborn as well. And this time I'm actually managing to do that to a large extent, but that's because she sleeps a lot and she sleeps really well. So there, there are actually windows of time where I can, and I didn't have that with my first either. So I, I think it's, you know, coupled with being your first child where you're just more alert and aware and anxious about all of the little, you know, newborn things. Plus if that child's not sleeping well, I mean, you know, you know, full well, it can take you hours to get the baby to sleep. Yeah. And then they maybe sleep for 45 minutes. Like when minutes. Yeah. And you start again. There's no way you're going to sleep during that time. Yeah. Because exactly what you say, you know, 45 minutes and then, you, you know, you're about to wind down. And a lot of what happened with Colin is, and I think it was great that Evan was so 50 50, but then it, it became a little bit difficult to handle nights because then it would be the fight as to whose turn it would be to kind of yeah. feed the baby. And then, um, so, so that became a struggle as well, because it's like, we both wanted to sleep. Um, but then it was like, oh no, it's your turn. Oh no, it's your turn. And then it's just like the guilt of someone sleeping versus being up. So we ended up, it was, while I completely support like 50, 50 spouses, I, I think it added a layer of difficulty because, mm-hmm. You add, you add a couple of like spousal arguments to the whole issue that someone has to feed the baby, yeah. and you kind of just have this this choice whether you know you're pumping, you're you're feeding, you're giving a bottle. 
so so that became a bit difficult for me as well and then you know at that point is it's you're right Colin would take hours to fall asleep and then he would sleep for maybe an hour and that was the sweet spot when you were actually winding down and going to sleep and then you'd have to be up again um and it was yeah it it, it was frustrating to say the least yeah and the other challenge too with in the early days with you know, your partner sharing feedings, particularly at night, is that you're still going to have to get up to pump when you're still establishing your milk supply. So, you know, you're awake anyways. Like, why are we both awake (laughs) right now? (laughs) Why are we all awake right now in the middle of the night? Everyone is awake. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I felt in hindsight, I felt that the arrangement that we had worked so hard to create, um, kind of affected us a bit negatively but I can only say that um having given birth to my second son and having thrown everything out of the window that I did with Colin and just being like I will not do anything that I did with Colin and just see what happens mm-hmm. um just from experience I can say that didn't work as well for me as I thought it was gonna work for me hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> So what what are you doing differently this time that is working? So this one, um, so Aiden was born in November. um, And one of the things that I wanted, took away from Colin's uh, birth and my experience was I I pumped mostly and I breastfed. And then eventually at four months, I switched over to formula just because my supply dropped because I hadn't been uh, feeding full time is I really wanted to breastfeed. Mm-hmm. Um, without pumping and when you add a toddler to the mix you just have a lot less time so yeah. based on what I had spoken to my friends and everything they're like you're gonna get to a point where you're just gonna divide and conquer so mm-hmm. I, I spoke to my mother friends and they're like my husband just takes care of the older kid you're gonna have to take care of the younger kids so then I just and it's just easier to offer the breast I, I mean th- that's what most of my friends said so so I figured, let me just run with that and just just see what happens. And um, Colin still, uh, he still needs to be settled once or twice a night, even though he's sleeping through the night. So we just decided to, um, before Aiden was born, just come to the arrangement that Evan would deal with Colin or any wakes up that he had, and I would deal with Aiden. Mm-hmm. And with Colin, and I, it probably happens with every firstborn, we tried to do everything that our parents told us to do and what we thought was right. So we got home from the hospital that first night and we tried to put him in the crib. Obviously, he hated that and screamed his guts out. So then we spent most of the first night just trying to figure out where Colin wanted to sleep. And it turned out he just wanted to sleep on me or on Evan, which is perfectly natural. (laughs) perfectly natural but you get all these mixed messages from your parents and society and you know you just you're so nervous about it so we really tried to kind of fit Colin into a mold of what we thought we should do with the baby Mm -hmm. with Aiden I just um we initially I think in the states it's called a docketot here it's called um a sleepy head we bought one of those and I literally just plopped down in our bed and Mm -hmm. I said I'm gonna go sleep with Aiden um I am you know we have a small house 
Colin is in the other room. He's a very delicate sleeper. There is no way I'm going to complicate my life or anything. Aiden will be in the bed right next to me. I will feed and then I will put him back in there. And uh, that ended up working really well for me. Um, Aiden turned out to be a good sleeper, but I, I don't know if it's he's just naturally a good sleeper or the fact that I'm doing things so differently that kind of help him sleep a lot better. So, mm-hmm. um, so, so that's where um, I, I, I get curious about is it the fact that I was trying to fit Colin into what I thought a baby should do, how a baby should sleep, yeah. and versus Aiden, which is he's next to his mother, I'm feeding him. I had absolutely zero expectations as to how he would act. I'm a lot calmer this time around. Yeah. That has helped him find a, a calmer sleep routine, if, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so that's what I'm doing differently, pretty much. Yeah, I can really relate to that because my first son had a lot of sleep issues as well. And, and looking back, I, you know, I know that I, I probably made that a lot worse than it even needed to be just because I had this, like you said, this mold that I was trying to fit him into. And I was determined that he was going to sleep through the night in his crib in his own room. And the truth is, yeah. And, and the truth is some, some babies maybe are capable of that or more capable of it, you know, at a certain point, not certainly from day one, but you know, some babies really do like start sleeping through the night just kind of naturally and they they prefer their own sleep environment and you know all of those things Aiden was never that baby I mean you mentioned like that you still have to you still have to settle Settle Colin a couple times a night my son's almost eight years old and we still have to do that with him like and and we accept it now we realize like this is this is part of who you are um it's you know, in some ways it may be part of like what we contributed to who you are, but it's, but it's part of who you are and we're going to, we're going to accept it and we're going to work with it. And we're going to like, not think that you're broken in some way because you, because you aren't just automatically sleeping through the night, even as an older child. Um, but my second, you know, I co-sleep with her and it's, it's, I really relate to what you're (laughs) saying because we have just such a a simpler, calmer routine because it doesn't really matter if she wakes up in a couple of hours. I'm, you know, it, I'm not stressed about that, at least for the yeah. most part, I'm not. I think it's it's difficult to, and we've talked about this in other episodes, like watching people go through this process because it doesn't matter how many people tell you, like, you need to have an open hand or an open mind. Like, mm-hmm. you also are, you're learning. And like, you know, a lot of people, these like, you know, who are engaged in these kinds of conversations do research or like they, you know, read sleep books or parenting books. And so they're informing like these decisions that you guys are making like by, okay, well this, if I do it this way, then it might in the long run do this or do this. And like, you know, Melissa talks about this, like kind of that pathway of like, how is this going to affect a month from now or three months from now or two years from now, how my, my kids sleep. And I think sleep books are very like prone to kind of talking about sleep in that way. Like, the way you determine the sleep now will affect everything else. Mm-hmm. And I think what ends up happening is you go into this season with these mindsets, like whether and it can go the opposite way. Like you could plan on co-sleeping and some babies don't sleep that way because all they can smell is food and they never want to sleep. All they want to do is eat, you know? And so it's like, you don't know necessarily what will work best for your family and what will work best with you and like your relationship, either with this breastfeeding or sleep with your baby until you're there. And I think when, 
watching people kind of hold really tightly to those things, you see so much struggle, like maybe unnecessary struggle. And maybe you guys would say that to like you, if you could look on yourself as a first time mom and say like, let it go, it doesn't work. (laughs) Or like, just get out of your own way. Like Melissa was telling me, I don't know, it was like a couple weeks ago that you were like, I just realized I actually don't have to bounce. I need to go to sleep. She'll just go to sleep. Yeah. Doing it because (laughs) with Aiden, now I feel like, I've been making my own work. Like, why am I making more work for myself? Yeah, like I'm holding my child back from this ability that they <laughs> actually have. <laughs> the same thing with Aiden, my second one. You know, at some point I realized, you know, I was trying to feed him and he, you know, a couple months ago and he kept pushing me off. And then I just realized he just wanted me to move away to let him sleep. And I'm like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then and then some another night I got up to go to the bathroom and he was he was asleep in the bed before I even got back. And I'm just like, I didn't even have the mental capacity to kind of be as aware with Colin as to what his sleep patterns or his, you know, what exactly he needed with Aiden. Like, like you said, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just not stressed about it. You just kind of do it. And I think that has opened up a new window for me just to kind of observe him more and kind of tend to what he needs as an individual more than me trying to fit him into the ideal baby that he should be sleeping through the night. Yeah. And I don't know if you're finding that you're just a little more willing to experiment, like, and try new things like, oh, that's not working. Let's try something different. I feel like with my first, I, I was not willing to try new things. It was like, what's working is barely, like what we're doing is barely working, but for the, you know, the tiny (laughs) amount of it that does work, we're just going to hold on to it like with dead cold hands, you know? And, and this time I'm much more likely to be like, well, you know, let's see how this works or let's try this today. Or like, you know, we were out and about all day and she still, she still did okay. And it's the end of the day and sure everyone's a little grumpy, but I'm sure we'll survive. You know, it's, I'm just a lot more willing to experiment and to, um, you know, to, to find out that something doesn't work at all or that, that it does. I mean, there's so many things with Aiden, my first that I, you know, I always wanted to like, be able to nurse, you know, in a sideline position. I always wanted to be able to nurse in a carrier. And then I never figured out how to do those things because I tried them a couple of times and it didn't work. And I was like, nope, doesn't work. You know, we got to just stick with what does. And this time I know, like, maybe I'm going to have to try that a few times before we get the hang of it. Um, and sure enough, you do. <laughs> I completely agree with you. Um, I and, and I kind of felt the same way. I always wanted to kind of nurse in a carrier or like nurse sleeping. And I kind of fell into those things um, with Aiden naturally because it's just like I was getting really tired. And so I was getting worried that, you know, I would fall asleep. And so I like started to inch towards lying down nursing and mm-hmm. we found a comfortable position. But with Colin, if it didn't work, um, you know, after two times, I'm like, no, it's just not going to happen. So, yeah. so I just gave up a lot quicker. And mm-hmm. um, um, obviously that had an impact and has had an impact. And um, yeah, I'm, I completely agree with you. I'm more open to experimenting and I'm more patient. If it doesn't work the first time, I try again. Yeah. Do you feel like now as as you're mothering both of these children, you know, in tandem, does that flexibility and adaptability that you have with your second, are you able to kind of experience that in your relationship with Colin as well? Yes. And it's 
quite difficult um, because I, I have felt, um, I feel a bit guilty as well because I feel like everything, all of my struggles with Colin have made me a much better parent for Aiden. And I feel like there was so much pushing and trying to conform Colin to this sleeping through the night baby that we didn't, I didn't really enjoy it. Um, I, I would say for the first year or so, just because we were so tired and pushing and fighting reality. Mm-hmm. So it's, I, I find it, and you know, it's the mother guilt, which I'm sure, I, I think it affects everyone in different ways. And then yeah. I just wish that I would have kind of enjoyed um, those first couple months with Colin more, because they are, they're quite magical. But then I don't know if this is just, uh, you know, I had a first child who didn't sleep and that was my my reality. Um, so I, I try not to get bogged down with it. But yes, I am, you know, to, to answer your question, I, I'm a lot more flexible now with Colin. And obviously we have sibling jealousies and everything like that. So I try to kind of keep an open mind and... I don't fight Colin anymore. Like, so we have, he's three years old, which is um, an age full of tantrums and everything. Mm -hmm. So um, I used to be a lot more diligent. He has to finish his food. Uh, We have to do this now and everything. And now with having two kids, I'm uh, I'm just a lot more adaptable. And if he doesn't want to do something, I I, I don't get stressed out about it. Um, and, And I try to kind of just offer him options or, or just kind of yeah be as flexible as I can because I think it makes everyone's life easier um so so I I try to do what works for us and you you kind of learn that that you you learn that the hard way because you have all these messages coming at you that your toddler should be doing this that he should be you know learning this or you know at a certain age and then you just kind of learn that if you want to enjoy it you just kind of have to slow down and just kind of enjoy the moments and try not to let the other stuff get to you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's interesting because even as you gain, you know, more adaptability and flexibility as you have more kids and you realize like, you know, there's just only so much for one, there's only so much bandwidth and you can only like control how many bites of broccoli your toddler has taken (laughs) to, to a certain extent. But there's also this piece, I was having a conversation with a friend the other day, and this shouldn't, this shouldn't have been like a novel concept to me, and I'm sure that anyone listening will be like, yeah, that's obvious. But they were talking about the fact that like, even, even though you gain the, that intuition and that flexibility and you're able to extend that to your, all of your children, at the same time, your oldest child is always your child that is like pushing the boundary of what you haven't figured out yet. Like with your, with your second, you're like, yeah, you're, it's fine that you are, you know, not sleeping through the night because you will eventually, I I know that now from experience or, you know, it's fine that you are like barely touching the food on your plate because like clearly you'll survive. Um, But with your oldest and, you know, now I have an eight year old and he's like starting to be like, like rude and, (laughs) (laughs) and, um, you know, kind of an asshole sometimes. Um, It's like, oh, no matter what, I haven't dealt with this before. Like, I don't know how to navigate these new waters. He's always pushing the outer edge of, like, where my experience and my intuition has gone. And so 
I feel I just feel bad for all these kids. Like it's I completely agree with you. <laughs> they're just going to get the brunt of it no matter what because we we just have to practice on them. Yeah. Yeah, and then Colin tells me go away like ten times a day, and you know, at first I was like, "This kind of hurts." Yeah, how dare you? <laughs> I was like, "I birthed you for like forty hours, and this is how you repay me <laughs> to go away when you're three years old." <laughs> uh, but I've you know obviously developed thicker skin since then, and I just uh, you know try to smother him with kisses which he wipes off and you know mm-hmm. we, we get on with it <laughs> yeah yeah I am curious so you had said um initially that you felt like the model for motherhood and parenting was really different kind of from what your your mom had maybe told you or like kind of your experience was different like how do you think that that's continued or changed like I as think, you older kids I think um so I, I still have um so my South American family is very, another thing that I think made things difficult, very um, pro-sleep training, child discipline, um, traditional family. Um, so, so I grew up in a very um, Catholic school. Um, you sit at the table, you have good manners, you eat all your food, you never question your adults, that type of childhood I was raised Mm -hmm. in Um, and that's still very prevalent in South America so when I got you know obviously Evan and I were so confused with the fact that Colin just didn't sleep and you know everyone told us that we should have a baby that sleeps so so I we visited Colombia once and then I remember my aunt telling me you know turning around and I was probably giving her a story because this is all that I talked about Colin never sleeps um, you know, just telling her, um, that he didn't sleep and she turns around and she tells me, why haven't you educated him? I mm. mean, that child needs to be educated. You need to close the door and just let him cry it out. So he learns what it's like to sleep through the night. Mm. And, um, she's a very sweet woman. And, but, but that just kind of shocked me that, um, she would portray or it it led me to understand where they were coming from um and maybe gave me a glance into why all of my cousin's kids are sleeping and absolutely everything and I think at that moment I kind of started to back off and just kind of stop complaining because obviously my husband and I were making a choice we never sleep trained Colin I think we tried for five minutes and Mm -hmm. no one was happy so we're like this is the stupidest thing ever and that's when we started to kind of accept our reality that Colin was someone that needed to have a bit more he was never going to sleep in his crib and he needed to be soothed and he either needed to be in our bed or we needed to have a mattress in it and so to make a long story short um my mom has become (laughs) a bit more understanding of my ways now that, you know, Colin has been here for three years and Aiden is sleeping. And, you know, I, I, I still get some subtle hints as to now we've transitioned Aiden to a crib. Um, and so I just pick him up to feed, bring him in bed and I put him back because he's rolling around and it's kind of dangerous for him to be on the bed with me. But for the first few months that he was just in my bed, my mom's like, so are you going to set up the crib? And I'd be like, no, mom, this is kind of working for me right now. So, so I think 
Um, and in regards to things like working, which if, if in, in the circles of um, my family, if you become a mother, you instantly stop working and you just um, let motherhood kind of completely consume your life. And it, you're, you need to be grateful for everything. And if you have a good looking kid, you have, you know, you have everything to be grateful for and you can't complain about anything and, and it's stuff like that. So um, I have other aunts and people who keep asking me, are you going to go back to work? Um, isn't your husband going to give you everything? Shouldn't you be at home with your kids for forever and ever and ever? And mm. I'm just, and I can, you know, with Colin, I was a lot more defensive about, you know, when, when I got these these questions or these retorts. Now I think I know what works best for me. So, so I don't need to be defensive or, or maybe I'm a bit more understanding or older. Um, but I, I do tell them, you know, going back to work is not the end of the world and I like it and, and stuff like that. So I guess, uh, Laura, uh, make a long story short. Um, I think the person that I need to kind of understand my model of motherhood more I think my mother and I have kind of worked closer together and she sees that what I've done with Aiden is actually working so Mm -hmm. she doesn't complain to me or ask me to change things because he's sleeping I'm happy things are good um and she might kind of twist the story a little bit to you know her relatives in South America but she knows I, I think make a long story note she sees me happy and she realizes that that's the most important thing. So whether I choose to go back to work or whether I co-sleep with Aiden or whether I breastfeed, she might kind of fib to my relatives about that. But between her and I, she she sees a difference with um, how things are going with Aiden with Colin. So I I think she's satisfied on that front. Yeah. And I think that that is the case for a lot of people. I think we have very different, Parenting, I mean, parenting styles can change from, you know, Melissa has a seven-year-old to now. Some parenting styles have changed, but I think generationally it can change a lot. And I think that what you said is really key. I think once you can kind of like, if you can have that kind of relationship where you can say like, this is working for me. And like almost, it's almost like asking like, can you let it go? Because it's I'm yeah. doing it. <laughs> like it's my, it's my life. It's like that thing we always do, you know, it's my life. But you know, and not everybody has that. I was just kind of wondering because I feel like, you know, when you come from cultures that have a lot of tradition, it can be difficult to bit, to break tradition. Oh, you're absolutely right, though, because um, my mom, for the most part, I think she formula fed us. So, so breastfeeding is kind of frowned upon as well mm-hmm. um, within my, um, my family, at least not that many people choose to do it. So the fact that my mom actually just left today for the States um, and Aiden is about five and a half months old. So I'm pretty much the one that's longest breastfed a baby in my family. So, so um, at the beginning, she's like, you need to offer a bottle. And I'm like, mom, but if I offer a bottle, I'm still going to be giving him the bottle. So it's actually kind of easier just to breastfeed him because yeah. I don't have to prep. I don't have to sterilize. You know, I still have to look after Colin. It's just Evan and I here. It's like, I'm not safe. I'm actually making things more complicated for me and I'm enjoying breastfeeding, which I, um, so, so no, yeah. <laughs> 
and and then so so she arrived and she's like, oh, so is Aiden taking bottles now? And I'm like, no, he's not taking bottles. But she kind of sees that he feeds every three hours and he's sleeping through the night. And, you know, I don't feed him in public because he's just very distracted. So I'm usually close to home anyways. So I just kind of feed him upstairs. So, so, so it, she sees, I think she sees breastfeeding a bit differently than she did when Aiden was first born because she sees how convenient it can be with a toddler. And, you know, I think I think part of the issue with everything about parenting is that it's so personal and that any advice that you get or any suggestions or criticisms are based on the person's personal experience. Um, and so, so I feel like she's overcome whatever choices she made and she realizes this is actually kind of working and it's good and that's what's most important and she's kind of let it go for the most part yeah it's it's interesting how becoming a mother yourself can really shift the the dynamic in the relationship with your own mother and certainly over time as they just like they learn to see you in a totally new way I mean your your mother is your mother to you, um, you know, but, but then your mother's relationship to you is that changes entirely when they see you become a mother. And so it's, it's cool to hear that you've been able to, you know, to kind of work with that shift and for her to be open-minded enough to, you know, to kind of allow the way she perceives you and perceives motherhood to, to shift as well. Yes. I, um, it's it's helped and it's it's made things easier um, for her to be open minded and 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 it's just nice to actually be at a point now um, after having Colin where um, she doesn't question my choices more because I think with your firstborn and I'm sure you guys will agree is when you when you have someone questioning your choices you, you kind of doubt yourself ten mm-hmm. times more because you don't even know what you're doing so you're like what does this mean? Um, and, and it just makes things a bit more difficult. I yeah. Think. So you've talked about going back to work and kind of what that looks like, but we, we haven't talked about what you do or when you are going back to work. Did you go back to work after Colin was born? I did. Um, so Colin was born um, in April of 2014 and I work in finance um, at a bank. So, um, because I live in London, I have, um, by law, they are required to keep my job for a year. That doesn't mean they pay me for the whole year. That means I get six months of my salary. Then I get something like unemployment for three months and the last three months are unpaid, but they are required to keep my job for a year. So, um, you know, within that time I've, um, I also do a bit of freelance editing on the side. So while I was home with Colin, I, I, I tried to get that, my plan and plans with newborn Sylvie's never work. My mm-hmm. plan was to get my writing business off the ground, but um, I was so sleep deprived that I kind of just dropped that and mm-hmm. decided I need to just focus on getting to a point where I don't resent my baby and I just don't have the capacity to do anything else. So um, I, I dropped that. And I, and I think that was um, 
disappointing to me um, a bit, but I just uh, I just figured, let me just go back to work full time and just try to deal with this um, enormous change of identity and uh, lifestyle, um, you know, within this year. And so I went back to work around April 2015. Um, I was actually at that point made redundant at Credit Suisse. Um, but the UK has pretty strict laws when it comes to making mothers redundant. So mm-hmm. um, I was offered another job, coincidentally, just pretty quickly at another firm, um, Barclays. And so I went back to work full time in June 2015. Colin was 15, I think he was 15 months by then. So mm-hmm. he was pretty much a toddler. Um, I my husband and I chose to do a mix of daycare um, and nanny mm-hmm. um, just because we needed the backup two days a week. And it was just kind of nice not to kind of have to rush out of the house and drop him off and pick him up. And and um, he, he, he was getting sick quite often at the beginning. So this gave mm-hmm. us kind of a break and we didn't have to call out sick from work or, you know, not come in. Um and so, uh, yes, I stopped working in early November, and I, I'm going to take the whole year off as well, just because, um, yeah, I, I just want to spend the, the I just kind of want to spend the time with Aiden and Colin. I just know it goes by so quickly now with number yeah. two. Um, with the first one, everything feels so, so uh, just so slow, and like it's, but but you realize that they're not going to be this small for forever. And they actually turn into toddlers that have tantrums and run away from you and just tell you to go away. So um, I, I just kind of want to soak it in as much as possible. Yeah. Take the snuggles while you can. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's, it, it really does. Time really does. I mean, it probably depends a little bit on how much sleep you're getting, but time really does crawl by with that first kid you're you just have yeah. no idea like I remember talking to my mom and and saying like she would say to me I promise when he's 15 years old he won't be doing you know x y or z and I was like no I don't believe you he will he will still be doing this you know and you just have no perspective so yeah. the you know every every difficult moment feels like you're really really stuck in it um and it's it's probably one of the greatest things about having subsequent children is that you just get, you just have that perspective built in and it gives you so much more freedom to say like this, this too shall pass. <laughs> I've seen it. I know it will. Which yeah. is a lifesaver. I think that, yeah, I think that's part of the reason why you enjoy it. Um, at least that much more when you have a difficult first child, um, you're like, Oh my, he's, he's not going to be like this forever so mm-hmm. so so I just feel that has given me a bit more patience but yes so I will be taking the whole year off um and I will probably be uh, I will definitely be going back to work um I just don't know in what capacity at this moment I'm, I'm I am doing some freelancing and editing so I think maybe I'll go back to work um full-time um at my job and yeah and maybe keep doing the writing and the freelancing but so I have um I have about six more months um before I have to go back to work full-time yeah well it's like you and I were chatting about before we started recording um 
you know, it's so great that you have the kind of maternity leave situation that you have there, you know, six months of, of paid maternity leave and then, you know, flexibility beyond that as well. It's just so much superior to what we have here in America and it's kind of a problem. I, 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 yeah, I think, I, I hope it will change. Um, I, I just, and you guys are probably closer to, um, to that than I am, but I can only speak from, you know, having friends tell me that, and we were chatting about this. I have a friend who had a baby around the same time as I had Aiden and she only had four months of unpaid maternity leave and she works for a bank that's quite profitable and she just started going back to work and it feels a bit harsh from my perspective over here to kind of just um for her to have to do that fortunately she has her mother who's looking after her baby full-time but it, it helps to have a bit more time off and hopefully that will change in the states um I don't know when yeah yeah we're I mean more and more people are are speaking out and advocating for it but it's um change is a slow moving slow moving thing yeah I feel like in these opportunities like I always want to say like there's no paid leave in the United States it's not required by any entity (laughs) because I feel like I didn't really understand that even maybe until I had like a job where I would expect something like that or had friends who had taken time off because I think people think, oh, it's like, you know, if you have a good job or, you know, and there are companies that offer that. But again, there's no regulation that requires any yeah. time paid at all. Mm-hmm. So I think that I that's think it's people don't the, know. Like, that's not that's not something that is a takeaway. It's like that is for the entire United States. It's a really, <laughs> a really big deficit for a westernized country. So. Yeah. I think it's the U.S. and if I remember correctly, um, Papua New Guinea. That's correct. Also, and there's another country, I just don't remember, is it Guyana? Um, there's a third one that is just They're the shocking. worst. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is shocking. It really is. We should be smarter than that, but we're not. Um, <laughs> one of the things, another thing that you and I touched on briefly before we started recording was just like talking to your kids about sort of these, you know, differences and sort of guarding your language when you've had a, you know, a more challenging older child. And then you have this like sort of blissful newborn experience, both because maybe that child's personality is different, but also because you're just like calmer and more going with the flow. Um, you want to talk a little bit about how, how you talk about that, knowing that Colin is, you know, absorbing your, not only your words, but also your energy and your posture towards your younger one. Yes, um, so where, so, so, yeah, Colin's vocabulary is exploding, so we pretty much are at the point where we, we have to watch what we say, because we're at the age where everything's why, 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 and he's just repeating everything, so, um, you know, for the first few months, I kind of joked, oh, Colin was a terrible sleeper or something, but now I'm just we're just not talking about it that much because you can, you, you feel sometimes that a toddler is so absorbed in their own world. But um, lately I've just kind of noticed that, you know, if I'm absorbed in Aiden and just like glowing over him, giving him kisses, cuddles, you know, Colin kind of looks up from, mm-hmm. you know, whatever he's doing and, and he's just kind of taking it all in. And that's when I kind of realize. Okay, even if my toddler isn't throwing himself on me, 
I have to also show him affection in a way that he wants and engage mm-hmm. him in a way that he wants because he is taking everything in. Yeah. Um, and, and so I try to be as perceptive as possible. Obviously, sometimes I, I overlook it. But, you know, whenever I get one of those stairs or something, I put Aiden in the crib and I, I just go tend to my toddler's needs. And, you know, sometimes that is doing stuff that I don't find that interesting, like playing hide and seek mm-hmm. or, or, or trains or something like that. But those are the things that kind of spark the smiles and the connection yeah. um, that I need to have with my toddler. And it's kind of understanding. I, I read somewhere recently that having a baby is a bit easier because it's, you only, you have to, to do things to a baby you have to feed the baby you Mm -hmm. have to do this but you have to work with a child and working with a child is always a bit more difficult than just feeding a baby putting a baby to sleep changing a baby and things like that and so that 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 just kind of reaffirmed that that Colin is at the age where I have to work with him and sometimes it's I, I, I have to be honest, it's easier just to deal with Aiden than to deal with a three-year-old. Yeah, but. you're you're totally right. Like, it's it's like you said, it's, it's kind of optional. Like, you don't have to get on the ground and play blocks with your toddler. You do have to, like, feed this crying baby. And so it's yeah. easy to choose one over the other. And I think it's so insightful what you said. Like, you know, you're showering the baby with love and with kisses, and your older child is noticing that. And, you know... In that moment, you may even have the instinct to like shower him with the same kind of affection because that's kind of the mode you're in and what you're, um, you know, what you're, what's giving you a good feeling to be, you know, to be showing this affection. But really, what your toddler needs is maybe not to be showered with kisses. He needs, like you said, to be, you know, for some engaging play or for some, you know, to get outside and run around or whatever it is, you know, and, and to have that insight and intuition to say, like, this is what this child needs and that and I'm going to like meet them where they're at that's really really valuable yeah so um definitely a work in progress but Mm -hmm. um it's it's every time um like Aiden took a nap today so instead of kind of doing what I wanted with Colin we played monster you know oh monster's gonna catch us so let's go hide from the monster and I wouldn't have chosen that kind of play, but it made him happy and he was smiling. And, you know, these are the moments that make me realize it's not about me. It's about them. And I just have to kind of, even if I don't like necessarily prefer playing those things. And this is what, this is the type of attention that my son needs right now. So I'm going to kind of run with it and, um, you know, to kind of, to see where it takes me pretty much. Yeah, that's really encouraging. I think it's it's good too to remember that, you know, it's not like you have to do that all day long. You don't have to like, play blocks all day long. It's like five, ten minutes of getting on the ground can make a huge difference. A huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, thanks so much for chatting with us today. Is there anything else you want to share about your experience of transitioning to motherhood and, and especially that initial postpartum period? I think the most important thing um, that I learned um, becoming a mom with Colin is just that, first of all, um, everything will pass, uh, which feels like it won't. Um, But you 
will eventually find your groove and you just um to listen to yourself um i mean if it feels if it feels off or if it feels like you're fighting reality it's probably because you are and um I don't know. It, it feels a bit um, like what I'm saying um, in regards to having a newborn for the first time. But I, it's just, it's okay. And everything yeah. will pass. And you will eventually get there, um, even mm-hmm. if it feels like you won't. You will eventually sleep. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 you won't sleep in ever again but you will eventually sleep yeah yeah colin colin still gets up at 5 30 in the morning yeah well i can say that you will eventually sleep in because i have a kid that still <laughs> still struggle you know he's still like not the world's best sleeper but we don't have to get up with him in the morning anymore so eventually yeah. that is amazing i look forward to that moment where maybe i'll be able to sleep until seven yeah, yeah. it's coming thank you (laughs) that is good to hear thank you so much um both for such an uh, engaging conversation yeah we appreciate you taking the time i know it's late there tonight and you've got babies in bed so it's time for you to go to sleep and get as much as you can (laughs) thank you both have a great day thanks carolina bye-bye bye thanks for listening to mother birth and being a part of this community We'd love for you to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to rate us in iTunes, which helps other listeners find us. We'd also love to hear from you at motherbirth.co if you have any ideas for topics for us to cover or if you'd like to be on the show. I think it goes without saying, but Mother Birth is a personal podcast created by Laura and Lisa. It's intended as general information. It doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care if you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period.